Hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity Podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years, mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight, not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Hello, beautiful Catholic divas. Welcome back to the Cycles and Sanctity podcast. And as you know, I am Mama Jane. I'd love to hear your testimony about how you have come to know Jesus Christ more intimately since our last episode. Please take time to go into the show notes and click write a review. If you're like me, I know that you're probably listening to this podcast while you're doing other things, driving or cooking or maybe even exercising. But just make a mental note that once you're able to go back into the podcast app and go and write a review. This gives me the feedback I need to always improve and to serve you. Well, last week we talked about who Jesus Christ is and why knowing him matters in your life. Today, I want to focus on who you are. You see, while this podcast is called Cycles and Sanctity, and I really want women and men to understand just how beautiful a woman's body is through understanding her cycle, I also want you to understand that you are so much more than just your body. We are body and soul composite. And that means as human beings, we are very complicated. We are the highest created creatures in the physical world, and yet we're the lowest creatures in the spiritual world. There's a lot to think about in that sentence, isn't it? Being the highest creatures in the physical world means that we have the abilities and the potentiality more than anything else created, more than the stars, more the oceans, more than any other animal that's been created. And as I mentioned in the last episode, Jesus Christ chose to become human in order to make us free so that we can become children of God. Many people will say, wait a minute, Mama Jane, aren't we all children of God? Well, the fact of the matter is, no, we are not. We're all creatures of God, and God loves us as he has created us. And as I told you before, if God chose to stop loving you, you would cease to exist. But since you do exist, that means God loves you. But remember, because of our ancestors' actions, we've all become enemies of God through the original wound or original sin. This is why understanding mentally and also experiencing the love of our Lord Jesus Christ has for us is so incredible. There's simply nothing we can do that our Lord will not forgive us if we turn to him and seek forgiveness. What makes us children of God is to be baptized in the Holy Catholic Church. Most of us have been baptized as babies, so we don't really understand this great gift we have received. God's grace is a gift freely given. It's one of the reasons why I happen to love witnessing baptisms of babies. See, babies remind us that we're loved without having to do anything. I mean, what do babies do? They cry, they pee, they poo, they need to eat, but we all love them. If you think about a baby, it just makes you happy, doesn't it? And see, many of us have forgotten because of the way either our parents loved us or maybe the messages that we received in our schools or some other experience that we are human beings, not human doers. We receive love for who we are, not what we do. And 
you know, many times I have to work on this attitude as well in my own spiritual journey that we only love others when they have done something good to us or that they've performed well. That's called conditional love. And many times we think that we're only lovable when we do something worthy of love. But see, this is the great lie of the father of lies that tells us. He told Adam and Eve in the garden this lie, which is why they hid from God. In case you've never heard this story, it's in Genesis, which is in the first book of the Bible. Let me tell you what happened. God created everything. He created order out of chaos, light, the sun, the moon, the stars, the worlds, the earth, the land, all the trees, all the deserts, the mountains, the ocean, all living creatures in the ocean, all the birds in the sky, and all the animals big and small on the earth. And then he created man. He named him Adam. He gave Adam the responsibility to name all of these things. And after Adam did this, he recognized that nothing was created like him. In St. John Paul II's masterpiece, Theology of the Body, he writes in depth about this concept of original solitude. As Adam is naming all of these creatures, he, because of his own cognitive faculty, he is starting to acknowledge that he's not like any of them. This is the first aspect of self-knowledge. Pope St. John Paul II tells us that this original solitude helps man reveal himself to himself. We all have an innate desire to understand who we are. We have a thirst to understand the core of our being and our identity. And as we look around the created world, we see how different we are and therefore alone. I remember when I was a young teenager and I had this feeling of deep loneliness. I attributed this to my circumstances. My parents were living in Africa, and I was the only one of two Americans attending a British girls' boarding school. And then also, I was only one of five students that were Catholic. I didn't really know who I was. And when I met the other American girl, she was two years older than me, and we had nothing in similarity except for that we were American. Her parents were divorced. She lived in Florida. And really, I don't even remember to this day how she even ended up in this small girls boarding school in England. She left after my first year, so then I was the only American at that school. One of my classmates and my roommate as well, her dad was in the British Navy, and they were stationed in D.C., in McLean. And so during the holidays, she would spend her time in the United States, yet I went back to Africa. And then when we would get back to school, she would ask me all kinds of things about the United States, such as popular TV shows and the songs. And she would try to get me talking about political figures. But I had no reference point because I didn't have access to any of that in Africa. And then being Catholic meant that the five of us that were Catholic were required to leave Sunday breakfast, which, of course, Sunday was the best day of the meals. But we had to be driven to a retired nun's community for Mass and we were also required to wear our uniforms on Sunday where everybody else got to wear regular clothes. And I remember many times the older girls would have a sneak out so we could go to the local candy store before we were picked up. But it was another point of being different and alone. And I remember when I went to my all-women's college as a freshman, I had finished high school at a girls' boarding school in the States about two hours away, and I had a best friend who was what we called a day girl, which just means that she lived in town and attended the school, but she didn't actually go to boarding school. So after I graduated, I left all of my things with her for the summer because it was way too expensive to take all that stuff back to Africa and then have it shipped back at the end of the summer. So after I landed in the United States, she picked me up from the airport and I spent the night with her. And then she drove me to college. 
And she just dropped me off, found my dorm. And as I was unpacking all my things, my new roommate and her family came in. And her mother asked me where my parents were. And I just simply said, oh, they live in Africa. And then she started to have a worried look on her face. And she asked me, well, who's with you during orientation? And I looked at her and I said, no one, because my friend had dropped me off because she had to get home. And I remember at that moment, all of a sudden, looking at that woman's face, how incredibly alone I was. And that loneliness hit me. And all of a sudden, I just wasn't even sure how to act. See, before that moment, when I was unpacking my stuff, I acted independently as I'd always done for the past six years. But when someone pointed out how alone I was, that's when I felt lonely and afraid. Well, many people will hear these experiences I had as a young person and look at me strangely because they can't even imagine these experiences for themselves or their children. I found out that while they were difficult, they helped me lean in on my strength to simply do the hard thing. I really didn't have a choice. I had to get into that airplane all by myself and I had to figure it out. So I met that challenge with a smile and maybe on the inside, but Trust me, I was incredibly uncomfortable most of the time. But when I read St. John Paul II's explanation of this original solitude, I realized that while my circumstances growing up might have been extremely unique to the average person's circumstances, this understanding that we are different and alone is not unique. We must all grapple with this concept. It's one of the greatest differences between humans and the rest of the creatures of Earth We humans have a desire to know who we are and what we are. Because of our own cognitive faculties, we have self-awareness and we have self-knowledge. It's the human body that reveals the person. The human person is both the object and the subject. And so we have the capacity to think about our thinking. And as I look back on those experiences as a young person, I can see the faculty of thinking I had about myself and really the damage I did to my own relationship with God and with myself and with others. Because I had this thought, I have to perform in a certain way to be accepted and loved. And while many may consider me to be strong and independent because I had to learn to do things on my own, I can now see that that's part of my own concupiscence concupiscence is a Catholic word, which just means attracted to sin. And that concupiscence is what I call unholy self-reliance or simply pride. See, while others see this independence as a strength, I can also see it as it gets distorted and becomes pride. While being independent and capable of good attributes, having them distorted is not a good thing. And so that's part of my concupiscence. I want to perform. I want to do things well. Pope St. John Paul II tells us, man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. So you see, when I become prideful and want to be depend only on myself, then not only am I not being a gift to others, but I also don't allow others to be a gift to me. Isn't that interesting? And so This concept of performing to be loved and accepted is completely distorted and not the way God wants us. Remember that baby who is loved by God simply by being existence. And that's really one of those concepts that we have to understand that we are loved just because of who we are. There's nothing that we have to do. One of the best gifts that the Lord has given me is to bring me into Catholic coaching. When I'm coached by others who are farther along than I am, I find myself in tears. 
Many times this vulnerability is magnified because usually it's done with a group coaching. And I remember one particular coaching session where the coach was able to really help me get to a deep rooted faulty thought. And I was really crying. And all I kept saying was, I'm sorry, I'm crying like a baby. I'm sorry, I'm crying like a baby. And this amazing coach finally responded after the third or fourth time saying, sorry, Jane, he said, thank you for being vulnerable and willing to do the work. You have nothing to be sorry about. And after that coaching session, it was just incredible. The Lord gave me this peace knowing that when I'm able to really go deep and cry because something emotional, a wound that is there that we're bringing to the light, I know that it's such a good, good and holy thing because the Lord is there healing me. It's really interesting because after that coaching session, a few days later, I was having an incredible prayer time with the Lord, and he gave me this image that I was in a hospital and on a gurney, and I was being transported to the ER, and my confessor was walking alongside, and I kept trying to sit up, and he just kept pushing me down and saying, like, Jane, lay down. And that's when I heard the Lord simply say, surrender. So I know for my own self, that is one of those things that I have to be working on, and I'm sure that many of you also have to be working on is how do we accept love of others? How do we love ourselves? Do we love ourselves because of what we do? Do we have a a checklist that I'm lovable if I do X, Y, and Z? See, whenever I get these really powerful images or words, then I know that I just have to sit and meditate on them more than once. And when I got this image and this, this word, surrender, I came to understand that the Lord's desire for me was to surrender these ideas of my own self-image and truly put on the mind of Christ. He's calling me to use my cognitive faculties to comprehend the core of my being and the identity that He has given me, not the identity that the world gives me. The journey of personal development and walking with our Lord has been long for me, and it continues. He's always calling me back and reminding me of the truth. So how do I become a self-gift through self-awareness and self-knowledge and finally through self-determination? Well, the more I understand who I am, the more I can give myself to others and allow others to give themselves to me. And that's the same way with you. The more you understand who you are, become more aware of who you are, and the more you become self-determined. Self-determined is a word to use your faculty of your will to choose the things that you want to do. One of these truths that I have learned, as St. Paul describes in the letter of the Ephesians, he tells us in the second chapter, you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for the good works God has prepared in advance for you to accomplish. If you want to look that up, that's in Ephesians 2, verse 10. And this was a Bible verse that God had given me on my own journey way back in 2015, 2016. It was a verse that I had been studying anyway, and then I was honored to be asked to give my testimony at a women's retreat. And so this was the scripture that I used because I understood that I was not the only woman who thought of herself as acceptable and lovable and did not think that we had to perform and that we were not masterpieces. Because I understand a woman's mind. We're always beating ourselves up. And that's not what God wants us to do. And I meditated on this passage before and after the retreat. And one day, God just gave me a truly miraculous gift. It was a gift of freedom. 
It was winter in 2016, and I was washing the dishes, and I was looking out the window and at the mountains that we have, and I thought, wow, I'm happy. You see, because of the circumstances that I had as a young teenager with that loneliness that I had, and I didn't understand what the loneliness meant, it actually turned into depression. And because of my own family of origins attitude of showing weakness, most people didn't even know I had depression. And then that depression intensified during my years of infertility. And I probably, looking back, had many times postpartum depression as well after the children's births. But I just learned to cope. I just learned to deal with it myself because, again, I had that unholy self-reliance. I knew after years of dealing with depression, I knew the depth, I knew the triggers, and I knew some coping skills, although if any of you have ever felt depression, then you know that when you're in the throes of depression, it's really hard to pull yourself out of it. But I also knew that winter always made it worse. And on this day, it was different. I had a moment of reflection, looking back and asking myself, when was the last time I felt depressed? It was such a moment. I just remember feeling so, so happy. And it was deep within me that I knew that this depression no longer had a hold on me. I knew joy and happiness that I had never experienced before. And I knew that this was going to be a lasting joy, a lasting happiness. It'd been almost 40 years of dealing with depression in some form or another, but I, I knew that God's love had healed me. He is forming me into his masterpiece, and he's showing you he wants to form you into his masterpiece. And he continually still showing me ways that he loves me, he protects me, he cares for me, and he accepts me. Because, again, because of that faulty thought that I have to perform, that I'm not lovable, that I'm not acceptable, which is what the enemy told Eve, I have to work on it. I have to work on my, my thoughts. And it's through scripture that he tells me that while I'm alone, because I'm human, he is always with me. He is loving me. He is seeking me out. And he's seeking you out. He loves you. Remember, if you exist and you can listen to this podcast, God loves you. And one of the things that he's showing me is what true communion is. This original solitude doesn't mean that we have to be lonely. It means that, yes, we are alone in the fact that we are different and unique, but it doesn't mean that we have to be lonely. That's the lie of the enemy. God is teaching me, and I'm sure he's trying to teach you as well, that true communion comes through the sacraments, and especially the sacrament of the Eucharist and the sacrament of marriage. See, the enemy tempted our dear mother Eve, and she gave in to that thought that God can't be trusted. But it was our blessed mother's fiat, her statement, let it be done unto me according to thy word, which gave us the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by her fiat, she proved that God is trustworthy. Jesus came to free us from the evil one. He came to rescue us. He came to show us our true selves. God has blessed me with this gift of Catholic coaching to help other women understand their own unique beauty and worth. I can only give what I have received. And sisters, I am telling you, I have received a lot. I understand and have experienced the battle in our thoughts. So this is why I want to invite you to my program, Uniquely Beautifully You. It's a 12-week program that we will dive deep into who we are and how we can choose God's truth, goodness, and beauty 
to truly become the masterpiece he created us to be. Come and join us, sisters. Together, we will discover who we are and how we are gifts to the other. The program begins on Monday, July 3rd, and the link to the registration in the show notes. And in the meantime, I want to encourage you to take this verse, Ephesians 2.10, to adoration. Remember, adoration is one of those spiritual exercises I want you to be practicing. Go find Jesus in the tabernacle. Go to adoration and ask him. Open your Bible to Ephesians 2.10 and meditate on this. Ask the Lord, what kind of masterpiece is he creating you to become? What kind of good works does he have already prepared for you that he wants to complete? Well, sisters, let me close with St. Paul's blessing. May the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Until next time, may God bless you.